We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select... Welcome to Picks for Polls, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome, Bears fans, to Picks for Polls, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Usaid Koshal. Recording this episode on December 20th here on Wednesday, we are recording this, you know, a few days before, uh, you know, by the time this episode comes out, a few days before uh, Christmas, uh, for those who celebrate, you know, it, it's the holiday season, you said. So before we get started here, just happy holidays to you. Um, and just how, how are you doing today, man? Yeah, you know, I'm doing well. You're right. It seems like the month of December has kind of just flown by and all of a sudden it's, it's like, by. hey, yeah. <laughs> you know, here we are. We're whatever, 13, 14 days away from the start of the new year. That means about 21-ish days from the Bears season probably being over yet again in January. But other than that, you know, I'm doing well. Kind of looking forward to another episode here. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to today because, I mean, we have a lot to discuss because, look, I mean, a lot of the discussion for the Bears over the past few weeks has been the fact that, you know, they were on that two-game winning streak after beating the Minnesota Vikings and Detroit Lions last week. Um, It it seemed like this team was getting on track here, going in the right direction, and put themselves in the, you know, it, it was a small chance they'd be able to make the playoffs, but a small chance of making a run potentially and making the playoffs if they ended up winning out. I mean, they still mathematically aren't eliminated after this loss to the Browns, but you have to think after just a devastating loss here to the Cleveland Browns where they were up by double digits in the fourth quarter once again for the third time this this season, and they find a way to lose this game late, um, whether it be execution errors at the end, you know, players not stepping up when they need to. Um, and just really, I mean, the Browns just doing a, a, making just a bunch of key plays down the stretch to win this game. The, and the Bears just not able to, to build anything in this game, especially offensively where they really struggled. Um, 
another frustrating loss here for the Bears. And yeah, like I said before, they're not mathematically eliminated, but they needed to really win out to to make a definite push at making the playoffs and have a real chance at it. And you got to assume at this point that the playoffs for the Bears just as fun as it was to talk about for a couple of weeks here, it's it's probably not happening at this point. And and that brings up a lot of questions about the future of this team with a couple of big decisions coming up. Yeah, I mean, it is. So this is a really interesting case here because quite frankly, I mean, people are already going back and forth on social media about what really needs to happen. You ultimately look at Sunday's results and again, the results kind of speak for themselves. Like at some point, the message that you're sending to the general public has to shift from hey, we're still figuring it out, we are a young team, we're rebuilding, but we're still figuring it out to, yeah, we need to figure out a way to get this done and generally finish. And unfortunately, you know what, we've been here so many times before with different coaching staffs. It's like the Bears, for whatever reason, have always, at least over the last basically, I want to say two decades, they've always fielded some really good teams, some pretty decent rosters, but unfortunately, the coaching staff just can't get the most out of every player to really put them over the top. I think that, you know, when you look at this team being five and nine at this point, right, or five and eight, I'm sorry, um, there is something to be said for the six or seven teams that are ahead of the Bears. And the teams that are, you know, whatever, six and seven, six and eight, for example, I mean, those are teams that, again, you look at and you kind of say, okay, you know, we understand why they are six and seven, six and eight at this point in the season right now. But it's also so key to keep in mind that with those teams, the common theme is that they actually have really good, solid coaching, right? If you look at the LA Rams, I mean, you're talking about a team that won the Super Bowl three to four years ago. Well, they've been injured, you know, they've been beaten up, but they're still kind of hanging on for dear life. You and hopefully trying to make a push for that last wild card spot. Same thing with Green Bay, right? It's been an up and down season. Again, say what you want about Matt LaFleur and Jordan Love and the Green Bay defense, but the fact of the matter is they've kind of figured something out and made it work. With the Bears, you don't really know what you're getting. And to me, that kind of leads to a bigger question in terms of, okay, if you are the people sitting upstairs in the booth, if you're Ryan Poles, if you are Ian... Cunningham, if you're Kevin Warren, you're looking at this and you're either thinking one of two things in terms of, hey, number one, let's fire these guys. Number two, is it even feasible for us to bring these guys back together in order to run it back and see, hey, can they get it figured out with another year of talent infused on the roster? Well, they certainly figured out something, and to give them credit, they have certainly figured out some things on defense, right? The defense over the past month or so, especially since the Montez sweat trade, has really started to kick into gear here. And now, after being you know a bottom five unit for majority of this year by you know EPA per play, for instance, like now they're decisively above average by EPA per play, and that's because this last month they've been on a on a, on a dominant stretch here. Um, you know, and, and yeah, it's come against some against some mediocre quarterbacks to bad quarterbacks and some bad offenses. That's certainly helped them quite a bit with that. I mean, you can see in this Browns game where Joe Flacco, it seemed like there were six or seven plays in this game where he was asking the Bears to pick off a bad pass or to 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 pick up a fumble that he just chucked 
out of bounds for no reason. Like, like Joe Flacco for a large stretch of this game was pretty brutal. And the Bears defense, like to their credit, they took advantage. Like, you know, the, the Browns, they're one of the most, you talk about like injuries and, and coaches are able to come overcome injuries on their team. Like the Browns, they're one of the most beat up teams, if not the most beat up team in the NFL. They were down to like their fourth and fifth string tackles in this game. They lost Joel Batonio um, during the course of this game. So they're down their best offensive lineman, their, their best guard, down four-fifths of, of their starters at some point in this game on the offensive line. You know, obviously Deshaun Watson's out with an injury. They're down to Joe Flacco, who just signed with the team like a month ago to the practice squad. And they they really are just piecing together, together this offense. You know, we can get to their defense in a minute because their defense is still, like, even with some of the injuries there, still fantastic. Um but yeah, the Bears were able to take advantage of the Browns' porous offense in this game. Like Montez Sweat was in the backfield all day. Other guys are getting pressure. Demarcus Walker had a pretty good game. Javon Dexter continues to make some splash plays as well. Um, getting after the quarterback in this one, they had like four sacks on Joe Flacco, forced him into a couple of interceptions, and two of them, you know, pretty much brought back. One of them was brought back for a touchdown by Tremaine Edmonds, and the other one by Eddie Jackson got them on the one yard line, which. You know, as try as as they might, uh, the Bears' offense. You know, it seemed like they were trying not to score on that possession, but they did find a way to to get the ball into the end zone with the Justin Fields' uh, spectacular play. But the defense really kept the Bears in this game and, and had them ahead in this game up until the fourth quarter, where it just once again, like for whatever reason, I don't know what it is, whether it's you know Eberflus and his coaching scared philosophy, you know, having a very soft coverages in key situations. You know, the pass rush, even though they've been better, they still can't get home on these key, you know, late game situations for whatever reason. And that reared its ugly head again. Like Joe Flacco threw for 212 yards in the fourth quarter, um, you know, had some really big plays down the stretch. That, that one play to Mark Mari Cooper for the touchdown was a was an absolute dime. He threw there in the tight coverage, rolling out on that play. Um, a couple of other deep plays that, that he made as well. Um, and then, you know, everyone's going to talk about the game ceiling play, what kind of the game ceiling play to David and Joku on third down where the Bears call a, a funky blitz where for some reason Justin Jones, who's a defensive tackle, is dropping back in coverage and expected the guard. David and Joku is one of the top 10 tight ends in the NFL. Like you get, you get stuff like that. And it just brings into question like this entire coaching staff. And especially when we talk about the offensive side of the ball or the coaching. I couldn't tell you what Luke Getze had for a game plan. I get it. The Browns are a historically great defense, um, like one of the best of the 21st century. If you look at any metric um, out there in terms of EPA per play, success rate, um, DVOA, like they are up there among the very best of the best of the last 20 or so years. I, I get all of that. But it just seemed like, once again, like Luke Getze, he goes up against these defenses where, yeah, it's easy against the Lions where they, they're not a great defensive team and they got holes all over the place. You go up against these Browns teams, like you got to have something in your bag to at least produce something. And for most of this game, the Bears just weren't able to move the ball. And, yeah, man, it, it just – the Browns thoroughly outcoached and outclassed the Bears in this game. That, that's really what it felt like to me. The, the Bears – they felt like the better team talent wise because of the state of the injuries on the Browns. They felt like the better team in terms of controlling the line of scrimmage in terms of the quarterback play that you're, get, that you're getting, even though we'll talk about Justin a bit, not his best game overall, but coaching. Once again, we talk about it all the time. Like every single time they get in these key situations, they always fall apart from a game management and execution standpoint. 
Yeah, you're right. And I think, you know, to it's it's this weird dynamic because you have people that are willing to kind of go out there and say, hey, listen, you know, we need to absolutely bring number one back. But then again, you know, your expectations in a sense also have to be realistic for why you want to bring him back. Now, if you ask me, I mean, if I'm sitting in Ryan Pohl's chair and I am looking at this and I'm hearing, you know, my star wide receiver and DJ Moore that I acquired come out and basically say, hey, listen, you know, we feel like Justin's the guy. There's not necessarily anyone better for, better than him. I mean, that's a statement that, you know, you kind of have to, in a sense, really read between the tea leaves there. And, and again, DJ coming out and saying that after the game, which I'm paraphrasing here, is completely fine because he should be coming out in support of his quarterback. But then really the major question becomes is, for the people sitting upstairs, do they really believe that they can consistently build something with Justin Fields, right? Do you really think that bringing in a new offensive coordinator after this season and keeping Justin Fields is going to allow you to go ahead and the, for the light to magically turn on in year four for Fields? Because at some point, I mean, you just have to be realistic about the results. And I think right now what's going on at House Halls, this is the Bears are realizing, hey, you know, this evaluation that we're going to have to make is going to be much easier than we think because there's a certain benefit towards starting over rather than trying to make it work with a fourth-year guy. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I mean, look, um, it's like you talked about, the, the locker room does love Justin Fields. I think you can get that from DJ Moore's comments. Like, yeah, do, do players go out there and support their quarterbacks publicly? Will they will they say things that maybe they don't necessarily mean a hundred percent, but just to be just to be a good teammate and not throw a guy under the bus, especially their team leader? Yeah, like we saw that a lot of times when Mitch was here, where you know the Bears, a lot of the Bears players publicly would say a lot of things like, "Hey, Cleo Max saying that you know Mitch was a dog," and you know Leonard Floyd calling Mitch the baby faced uh, assassin. Um, and, and things like that, like a lot of the guys on the Bears, like Kyle Long, obviously, like loved Mitch. Um, you know, from from his time there, being you know his uh, his starting guard for him for a few years there um, at the beginning of his career. So you know, look, the guys in the locker room, it's clear. Like you go and like 
you interact in the locker room whatsoever with these guys. You interact with them at training camp. You watch them. You see how they interact with each other. Like this, this team definitely follows Justin Fields, and they, you know, they, 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 they just go behind him, right? Um, and it, it, that's self-evident. But here's the thing: you know, when you're making this decision here. Yes, you have to balance the locker room aspect of it, but you also have to remember that these guys are professional athletes. And, you know, if if they're going to, you know, lose faith, lose togetherness in the locker room because you end up making the decision to move on from Justin Fields after this year, then maybe they weren't the right guys to bring in to build as your foundation anyway, right? Because at the end of the day, their job is to support whoever that quarterback is under center for that team. You know, considering that, do you, do you want to maybe consider, you know, the fact that, um, you, you know, the next quarterback that you maybe draft and bring in has to have that leadership qualities to make up for the void that trading away at Justin Fields would make? Then, yes, that that's definitely maybe something to consider when picking between a guy like Caleb Williams and Drake May once you get to know them a little bit more um in pre-draft meetings and stuff like that but but still at the same time you have to first evaluate what's going on on the field and i get it justin Fields, he's a likable guy he's a natural leader he's a he's a true professional in every sense of the world but you gotta evaluate what you have on the field with justin fields now i'll, I'll start first by just looking at his game on sunday against the browns like you saw the entire justin fields experience i feel like in this game, you saw early on like some really fantastic plays. Like there were four or five really high-end plays in this game from Justin Fields. He looked at the touchdown, you know, escaping from Miles Garrett, um, using his athleticism to get outside the pocket and just throw a dart to Cole Komet in the corner of the end zone. Like that's a play that not many quarterbacks in the NFL can make. You know, you had the drop by Robert Tunyon early in the game where Justin Fields just throws a uh, absolute bomb to him that's sh- right in the breadbasket should have been caught. Uh, no excuse for Robert Tanya not to catch that ball. And, you know, if that goes any other way, like, yeah, Justin Fields' stat line looks certainly looks a lot better. You know, he finished, you know, 19 of 40 in this game, you know, under 200 yards passing. Um, it was like 4.2 yards per attempt. So, you know, stat-wise, not a great day from Justin Fields. I think he played better than the f- stats suggest because, you know, he got unlucky with a couple of interceptions. But with that, on, on some Hail Marys, I should say, but with that said, there were also yeah, also have to throw in this. Like there's still three plays where, you know, he's putting the ball in harm's way. He had a strip sack fumble where he had guys open and he turned down some throws that he maybe could have made instead of taking a sack that he probably shouldn't have taken, which has been a theme for him um, ever since he's been here in Chicago in the NFL. You know, he had two plays where, you know, he just one of them not on the same page with Darnold Mooney on the route and just threw a bad ball right to a Cleveland Brown defender that got dropped. Another one where he's asking for the ball to get picked, throwing it against the grain um, late, you know, to Darnold Mooney down down the sideline where that should have been picked off as well. So, look, it, it all evens out. What I'm saying is, like, yes, Fields got unlucky at times in this game. He was going up against a really tough Browns defense, but he also made some mistakes in this game as well. And you have to factor in that you go in pretty much an entire second half where he's not effective. Him and the offense are not effective whatsoever. Like, the, the quarterback has to bear some responsibility for that, right? So even though the stat line for me is not a true reflection of how Justin Fields played, I don't think he played as bad as the stat line suggests. 
he didn't really have a lot of much of a chance on a lot of plays, you know, you still look at this thing here and say, are you getting enough from him at the quarterback position for him to be a franchise guy to pass up on drafting a quarterback in next year's draft? And again, I don't want to box score scout too much when it comes to this, but just to look at, like, if you're looking for like where fields ranks among his peers in terms of some important, you know, statistical, you know, uh, measurements out there, like yards per attempt, 6.7 yards per attempt this year for Justin Fields. That's 23rd in the NFL, less than what he had last year with worse weapons. In terms of success rate, uh, he's 27th in the NFL. He's got a 38.2% success rate, uh, which is not great. Um, passer rating, you look at passer rating, you know, he's 21st in the NFL at 85.6, which is around where he was last year. And remember, last year he didn't have DJ Moore to throw to. So still not making tremendous strides in terms of passer rating this year. You know, he's still taking a ton of sacks. He's second in the NFL among qualified starters in sack percentage. His adjusted net yards per attempt. He's 24th in the NFL in adjusted net yards per attempt, which takes into account, um, you know, those sacks and, you know, factors in like how much that impacts you from an efficiency standpoint. Um, you look at him from, you know, the grading standpoint. I know a lot of people don't like PFF grades and I get it. But from a grading standpoint, you know, he's he's 22nd among NFL starters right now in total PFF grade um, among quarterbacks. And then his passing grade, um, he's, he's in the 20s as well. He's got a 65.9 passing rate, which for them is slightly above average. But, it, it, you know, it's not necessarily where you want him to be in terms of a third-year quarterback. So there are many reasons to see that. Look, Justin Fields, he's a dynamic athlete. He's got a great arm. He's, he's extremely talented. He makes – plays throughout the course of the game that not a lot of quarterbacks on planet earth are capable of making, but there's way too much inconsistency. Still, there's not enough growth in a lot of key areas. And frankly, he's just, it's a matter of, he's kind of running out of time here. He's gotten better year by year. You're seeing some growth, but has, has he gotten better enough to justify passing up on a Caleb Williams or Drake may, you know, as a guy who's maybe a mid tier starter right now, Quite frankly, I, I just I, I'm not sure the Bears. I don't think from a, a pure on-field evaluation standpoint that the Bears can say with a straight face that Justin Fields sticking with him as the quarterback is the best option for them long term. Yeah, and it's going to be a situation that you have to monitor throughout the 2023. I'm sorry, 2024 offseason because. Again, you know, that end of season pressure is going to take place in a few weeks here, and really, I think what's going to happen is this is there's going to be questions about the quarterback position. There's going to be questions to Ryan Poles, especially depending on where the Bears end up, because it is worth noting for the 24 draft, the Patriots do hold the strength of schedule tiebreaker over Carolina. So there is a chance that the Bears end up with the number two pick instead of the number one overall pick. But again, that's all still to be determined. But ultimately, you know, it's just something that Ryan Poles is going to have to answer. And you look at Fields play this year. I mean, I'll be honest, it's mad inconsistent to the point where there are legitimate questions about, you know, what is his fit going into next year? And not necessarily even his fit with the Chicago Bears, but if you are one of 31 other teams looking at this and you're potentially in the market for a quarterback, you know, you're looking at this and again, that's not me saying, hey, there's 31 other teams in the market for a quarterback, but 
I could right now rattle off the top of my head, you know, five or six teams that would make sense for Justin Fields. And those teams, right, teams like Washington, Atlanta, within the AFC, you know, you've got the – and I hate throwing their name in there, but it's you've got the New York Jets, you know, the New England Patriots even as a complete wild card. And then I think that you also have to look at a team like the New Orleans Saints, you know. They're looking at this and they're saying, okay, can we really make it work with this kid? And – it's tough because as much as people want to blame Justin Fields situation, I mean, there's no guarantee that he goes to a new place and then the light just magically flips on in year four regarding the statistics that you kind of mentioned. I mean, it's key to keep in mind that the bears don't have a really good playmaking core, right? Like, yes, on paper, we're all on board with the thought of Darnell Mooney, DJ Moore, Chase Claypool, as well as Coke Met to start the season and a solid running game. But, I mean, it's become very clear over the last basically eight to nine weeks that this playmaking core is literally just Moore and Cole Komet, which, if I'm going to be honest, you know, are both guys that are 1Bs at their respective positions in the league. And so it's really tough to kind of sit here and justify, you know, loving anything that this offense has. Yeah, but I mean, but on the same note, like, also, don't you have to factor in, like, isn't the, it the quarterback's job to elevate those around you, right? And, you know, when has Justin Fields ever, like, gone out there and, like, evidently shown that he can do that, right? And that's kind of, that's kind of like my big thing when it comes to this is, like, he can clearly produce when he's got a guy like DJ Moore that he can, that he has a relationship with that he trusts, and a guy that can bail him out on occasion, with, like you've seen Moore do this season. He's clearly comfortable throwing it to Cole Komet, and those two have been very. He's been very efficient throwing it the ball to him, but everyone else, he's just. It, it seems like he's just. It, it's 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 almost like he hasn't thrown to these guys before at some points because there's miscommunications. They're not on the same page. Like Darnell Mooney, who Justin Fields had a, you know, those guys are really tight off the field. You know, they had a great connection. Um, Justin Fields rookie season, even, you know, early in the second year um, when Mooney was healthy, like they had a great connection together. And now all of a sudden, like they've acted like they've never played together before on, on some of these routes. And it's just confounding. Like, you know, is this because Fields struggles, you know, mentally to, you know, when he does get to his second and third option, you know, does he kind of frazz, get, get frazzled a little, little bit? Does he need to stay locked on to one guy over the course of the play to feel comfortable making that throw to them? Like, those are all legitimate questions. Like, does Fields have the ability to, you know, elevate the town around him? Like, it, let's let's say let's compare him to, like, Trevor Lawrence, who a lot of Bears fans are now going on to the – uh comparisons with Lawrence because they you know they've always been compared together even ever since going back to high school um as high profile you know recruits um and, and pros and prospects going into college football um like you look at Lawrence was able to do last year with like Christian Kirk who was like a number three wide receiver at best with the Cardinals and he was their number one wide receiver last year and he had a productive year and led them to the playoffs right Evan Ingram who's considered like a first round flame out with the Giants, he goes on there and he has his best – he has a career with them largely because, you know, he's playing with a guy like Trevor Lawrence. Like Trevor Lawrence, I, I'm not going to say like he's he's lived up quite to the hype he had coming out of college, but clearly he, he's shown an ability to get the most out of guys that aren't necessarily like big-time 
playmakers. You know what I mean? So it goes back to the whole thing now, like the, the, the counter argument then for, you know, the bears, like not, you know, picking on picking a quarterback and sticking with fields would be that like, look, you have the number one overall pick or number two, depending on how Carolina does the finished year, you can stay at number one or number two and, and, you know, pick a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr., who is, you know, a top, you know, one of the top wide receiver prospects to come out of the draft in, in, in years. Um, you know, really, a, I wouldn't say a generational prospect, but as close as you can get to a generational prospect at the wide receiver position, given that he's got such an all-around skill set. But, like, here's the other thing. Like, it's not like there's not other wide receivers in this draft to pick. Like, you still got Malik Neighbors out there who we, we can talk about because Malik Neighbors, in many ways, he's, he's a, you know, clone pretty much of DJ Moore when I, when I watch him play. Like, you could still go out there, draft a Caleb Williams with number one overall, and with the other first-round pick, get a guy like Malik Neighbors, and you're setting up your rookie quarterback extremely well to succeed in the future because you got you know your foundation on the offensive line pretty much handled with Darnell Wright, Braxton Jones, Pevin Jenkins, you know, maybe get a center and free agency to, to shore up that offensive line. You got DJ Moore, Cole Komet for what he is, is, is pretty solid and reliable. You get Malik Neighbors in there. Like, I, I don't know. I look at that offensive group and I just don't see a situation where a rookie quarterback can come in and fail because of the guys around him, which is one of the biggest arguments that I've seen on Bears Twitter for keeping fields is that like, you know, if you draft a rookie quarterback, you don't have the ammo to build a dominant team around him, which I just think is patently untrue based off where the Bears are at. Yeah, and it's see, it's a weird it's it's weird. And it's weird because if you are gonna be okay with drafting a rookie quarterback you should in a sense also be okay with fields coming back but again there's a lot that goes into both now this is for the most part a really intriguing draft that is coming up here and it's not just interesting because what you have is a team in chicago that's got the two ones so you have a legit chance at two day two day one starters i'm sorry but it's interesting because you have a lot of um deep talent that is available. Everyone loves to talk about the quarterback and the wide receiver positions. Edge rusher this year, if these guys test out at the combine, it's going to be really good. Offensive tackle is a really good one. But Malik Neighbors, to me, is interesting when it comes to a roster building standpoint because you are getting a guy who is going to stretch the field vertically. And if we're going to be honest, I mean, the Bears on paper have two vertical threats in DJ Moore and Darnell Mooney, but the difference is that one of them just has not been as effective as a lot of people would have liked to see this season. So ultimately, you know, it's just a classic case of, okay, how do you, number one, put your team in the best position to succeed? Number two, how do you go ahead and kind of scout and build the key talent and you know really to me i mean the big thing is this is that you can't go wrong with a rookie quarterback at all because you have two first rounders this year and then you've got a first round pick and you've got two second round picks next year and then you still have you know a boatload of cap space and draft capital so it's tough to sit here and want justin fields to not come back but also at the end of the day the potential for a long-term winner is greater if you do in fact start over with a rookie quarterback 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, look, I, I view it as this: like, like yes, theoretically, like you can get a call for number one overall because the team is going to see Caleb Williams or Drake May and say, "We gotta do whatever we can to get that guy," and you're gonna get more for number one overall than you would let's say trading Justin Fields away. Like right now for Justin Fields, you're probably looking at a second round pick, maybe a conditional fourth round pick. That can be a third round pick, depending on how much he plays or how well he plays with this new team. Like that's about what you're looking at. My kind of thing there is like, yes, you can get more for Caleb Williams essentially um, by trading number one overall. But isn't that kind of admitting that like Caleb Williams is the more valuable like asset if a team's willing to give up more for Caleb Williams who hasn't played in the NFL yet than Justin Fields who we have three years of film on him in the NFL and teams clearly aren't valuing him at the same value as a guy Caleb Williams or Drake May like you know so you're kind of like I don't know it's like you can look at the argument kind of kind of both ways there I get I get the argument like you can put together like a really stacked roster with all those draft picks that you get from that trade you can get multiple blue chip guys in this draft to kind of build it around Justin Fields and get him another chance um, to kind of prove himself with better talent, with hopefully maybe a better coaching staff. Like if they move on from Eberflus, I'm sure they're going to move on from Getsy because he's been brutal this year um, as a play caller. Um, but yeah, at the, at the same time though, like isn't the most important position the quarterback position? Don't you want to make sure that you're doing whatever you can to raise your ceiling, not just your floor, but your ceiling at that position? Because ultimately you need to get one of those top seven or so dudes that really make an impact on your team at that quarterback spot. And if you don't have one of those guys, like if you're in a position to get one of them, potentially you got to take your shot at it. You can't settle for mediocrity in my opinion, I know there are some examples, like some can point to like Tua in, in Miami and Brock Purdy in, uh, in in the San Francisco 49ers. Thing is, though, like they're not getting paid yet to play, you know, to be the quarterbacks for those teams. And, you know, in, in the case of Brock Purdy, like he inherited, he, he's kind of like a unique case because he was not expected to be a guy that they built around. And he inherited just a loaded roster already that was kind of, you know, he was kind of, brought in to run that system for you know you, you look at the guys like joe burrow who's kind of changed the franchise for the Bengals in his time there number one overall trevor lawrence who's you know dragging you know again say what you want about trevor lawrence he's he's made that jacksonville jaguars team that is pretty mediocre on paper into a relevant playoff contender despite some of their other issues and his issues and the inconsistencies that he's had as a quarterback like he, he's doing a lot to carry that team into playoff relevancy. You look at CJ Stroud, who's the number two overall pick last year, and, and what the what kind of impact he made for the Houston Texans, who many people thought would be in the top five conversation once again this year, um, because that roster still is you know a couple years away from really being complete as a true 
know, playoff contending roster. And he's elevated that, that, you know, him and that coaching staff have elevated that team. You know, I can use past examples. You look at like Andrew Luck, you know, for the Colts, you know, getting the most out of that team and getting them back into, into playoff contention, pretty much dragging that team um, into relevancy. Like the list goes on and on and on. Like you can say like, yeah, teams haven't won Super Bowls with number one overall picks in, in a while, but damn, like they, 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 they for you get a lot of examples of you know guys going in there and immediately changing the culture of those teams when they go in and play for and when they go in and draft them, right? So, in my opinion, like you have to approach this by looking at like not just next year for the quarterback position, who's going to be the better player. You got to look at this like who is the best long term option for us who best raises our ceiling, who can be that franchise-changing guy. And if you believe that one of these two guys is a franchise-changing guy and that Fields isn't, you got to make the move. As much as the, the the guys in the locker room love and respect him, as much as maybe even – I'm sure Ryan Poles loves and respects Fields the person because I'm sure Ryan Poles getting to know Fields has certainly created a soft spot for him, um, you know, just because of how likable of a guy he is. But man, at, at, you know, at some point, the on-field product matters, right? And and again, there's going to be a lot of teams looking to to get one of these quarterbacks in the draft, and that's what makes it so appealing because these guys are are that good. So, uh, last thing we can cover here before we kind of uh, wrap things up or, or move on to pre- previewing the upcoming game against the Cardinals. Um, you know, let's talk about these teams that are going to be looking for a quarterback. Let's start with the Justin Fields conversation in terms of. And who might be willing to trade for him, and then we can kind of get into the draft discussion off of that. You know, I look at the Fields thing in terms of his potential trade options. There are a few teams that I think stand out. Like one, Atlanta. I think they're the most obvious one. Like, you know, Fields is from Georgia. He he went to Georgia first before transferring to Ohio State. Um, you know, the Atlanta Falcons need a quarterback bad. They're not really in a position to draft a guy early in this draft and they have some weapons on that roster that they need to take advantage of. Um, and fields is definitely an upgrade over Desmond Ritter, who is one of the worst quarterbacks I've ever seen um, playing on an NFL football field. Um, like he'd be, he'd come in right away and, and give that, you know, that offense some level of a boost you would think, even though he, you know, he's he, as flawed as he is, you know, you look at the landscape, you say, who are some other teams that you think could be interested in, in the fields trade? I mean, you know, I kind of mentioned New England as one team right now, as well as the Washington Commanders. Now, Washington, to me, is perhaps one of the most intriguing teams this offseason because you have Ron Rivera there who, again, the new ownership group has kind of made it pretty obvious at this point, although they haven't publicly stated it, that we're going to keep Ron Rivera till the end of the year and then we'll kind of go from there. And so then that kind of leads to a major question. And the question that that kind of leads to is this, is is Washington willing to go ahead and promote Eric Bieniemy to head coach? Because if so, then you're looking at a situation where Sam Howell's a starting quarterback. But if not, then, and there's an entirely new staff in town, boom, all of a sudden Washington with that projected fourth overall pick becomes prime kind of trade candidate for Justin Fields. But then you just start, you know, looking at some of the other teams around the league. And, you know, you definitely say this, like there's a lot of talk about should the New York Giants move on from Daniel Jones? I mean, the reality is Joe Shane and 
and Brian Dable would be pretty stupid, I feel like, to say, hey, we're going to move on from Daniel Jones, especially after you just handed him a $45 million contract. You know, the Las Vegas Raiders down at 12th overall are definitely intriguing to me because they don't necessarily have a long-term solution at quarterback. The Raiders' future is so uncertain to the point where if Antonio Pierce does indeed become the next permanent head coach of the team, because you do have... You do have players that are willing to play for him and play hard for him that maybe they could get aggressive and be seen as a legit landing spot for Justin Fields. And then, you know, one other wildcard team that I'm going to throw out there, but I think, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are certainly a possibility. Yeah, Baker Mayfield's looking good. Yes, Baker Mayfield's looking great. But the question is, do you go ahead and kind of say, hey, you know, we think we can make it work with – um, Justin Fields because we just believe that he's more dynamic. And then one last team in the AFC, I mean, the Pittsburgh Steelers, honestly, like you don't know what's going to happen with Kenny Pickett. He's kind of shown to be really inconsistent. Mitch Trubisky and Mason Rudolph, clearly not the answers. There could be a complete reset in Pittsburgh this offseason with even Mike Tomlin being on. And so I would say Pittsburgh should be a intriguing team to watch as well. Yeah, I would say Pittsburgh, Atlanta, and, and Vegas for me right now kind of seem like the the biggest options because you know, look, the Patriots—they're what they're slated for number two overall right now, so they're definitely going to be on the train of picking whoever's left between Caleb Williams and Drake May. I, I feel pretty confident about that. The Washington Commanders—they're ahead of the Bears right now in draft order. I think they're they're fifth overall, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. They're either fifth or fourth. Um, you know, at that point, do like do they take a chance and I get like Jaden Daniels in the draft instead of trading away for Justin Fields? Like that could be an option as well for them. Um, you know, if, if they like Jaden Daniels that much, you know, coming up in the draft. Um, so certainly something to keep to keep in mind there. You know, I, I think the Buccaneers probably run it back with Baker Mayfield at this point because he has, you know, he has them leading the division there. He has them a spot to make a playoff run. He's played decently well at times for them this year, you know, that offense has kind of kept them afloat, you know, with their defense struggling, you know, the, the Steelers make a lot of sense because Kenny Pickett, it's just, it's not going to work out. Like Kenny Pickett, we kind of knew that he was kind of a low ceiling guy anyway. And apparently the floor is not very high either because he just looks like a backup quarterback to me whenever I watch him play. And we know how, how rough Mitch Trubisky can get. Um, That was, it's been brutal to watch him when he's been in there for, for the Steelers and in recent weeks getting benched for Mason Rudolph, which, oh boy, uh, that's going to be a rough one. Steelers fans. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Just saying. Um, and then the Vegas with Vegas, like, you know, they're not committed to Jimmy Garoppolo. Obviously they have Adrian O'Connell um, who, you know, has, you know, played up and down ball and he's a rookie, but you would think that you know they would be willing to take a swing on Justin Fields and and bring him in to co- compete with Aaron O'Connell and give them somebody who has a little bit more you know high end potential play in there you know when he is you know locked in and playing uh, um, you know his best version of his game you know obviously Justin Fields being the volatile talented guy that he is he's going to give you more high end performances more high end plays than a guy like AOC who is more of that backup style you know anticipate throws, get the ball out quickly, you know, and occasionally throw interceptions because 
he's just not the most physically talented guy. You know, just feels kind of the exact opposite in that regard, right? Um, so that that would make a lot of sense, and they're not in a position to draft, you know, a quarterback very high either, because I think they're going to be outside the top ten when it's all said and done. Like they're definitely not in a position to trade up for one of these guys. Um, and if they did, they'd be giving up a lot to do so. So I think they would make a lot of sense in Atlanta. Like I said before, it just like Atlanta makes too much sense for me right now. We'll have to see what changes are made. I think Arthur Smith, if they miss the playoffs is probably gone at the end of this year. Who knows what happens with the front office at this, at this point, like maybe Terry Fontenot stays there. Ryan Pace, we know is the, is the assistant GM there. And he's, you know, heavily involved in the decision-making process there. And if that's the case where both of those guys are there, like I think that makes a lot of sense because Ryan Pace can sell Terry Fontenot that like Justin Fields, you know, was the guy that he drafted in Chicago. He has a lot of belief in, um, and you bring him in, give him a shot with this roster and see if they can make it work, you know, and get back to that, to that playoff um, contention with a new head coach. You know that that could certainly make some sense there. I think. Um, so yeah, those those are some of the teams that are going to be available. And then you know, you look at the top of the drafts here. Obviously, the Bears are going to be in contention with number one overall. I still think the Patriots are going to be drafting Drake May at number two if he's there. You know, my other thing here though is what do the Cardinals do at number three overall if they stay there? Because Kyler Murray, you know, he he's been back from the the knee injury um, this season, he's, he's had his moments, but clearly, you know, hasn't quite gotten back to his play that he was maybe a few years ago where he was, you know, kind of a fringe MVP candidate. Um, you know, do you think the Cardinals are a spot where they're looking to maybe move on from Kyler if they're in a position to draft a quarterback or, or do they, you know, kind of stick with Kyler one more year and let it all play out? Honestly, I think they stick with him one more year and let it all play out because ultimately, if you look at the Kyler Murray situation, so many people tend to forget that has he played the game at a high level? Yes. Has he gone ahead and helped Arizona kind of have some really good years? Yes, he has. But also then the structure of that contract is not necessarily the friendliest at all. And in fact, it's probably, I'm going to argue, one of the worst contracts in the league. They can't necessarily even get out of it until you're looking at maybe 2027 if you really want to have some legit savings. Because other than that, I mean, you're saving, you know, a couple million here and there, but it's not going to be that much. And so for Arizona, the entire structure of that, if you do take a quarterback in 2024, because again, it's now Monty Austinfort, the GM, and Jonathan Gannon, the head coach that are kind of running the show, you have to kind of consider this. Is, is there a team that would be willing to take on that Kyler Murray contract and most likely probably not given the way that it's structured, especially, especially with a lot of the guaranteed money up front. And so that kind of just leads to the question of quarterback should be off the table because you have to be realistic for Arizona. And I mean, there's no point in drafting a guy in 2024 and then having him sit on the bench for three to four years because that's essentially the duration of his rookie contract just because your excuse is, yeah, well, we have to get out of the Kyler Murray situation. 
It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Yeah, just to put it in perspective, the the uh, the Cardinals would be taking on forty six million dollars in dead money this upcoming offseason if they decide to trade Kyler Murray and only five million dollars in, in savings. So, you know, definitely not the most ideal. We've seen NFL teams be willing to take on dead money and rebuilding projects in the past with these quarterbacks, but yeah, I mean, it's certainly not ideal. Like this is, again, he's coming off the injury. He hasn't really had. He didn't have a full training camp. They're still building up that roster. The roster's not any good. So they may want to, you know, give him one more year um, and let it all play out. Um, like next year, if they decide to trade him, it goes down to a $33 million cap, uh, cap, dead money cap hit to trade him, which is, you know, it's better. It's not great. Um, I mean, obviously 2026 would be the most ideal year to move on because they'd be, you know, saving quite a bit there in terms of, you know, cap savings to move on from Kyler Murray then. So, yeah, I think I agree. I think they do end up playing it, let it playing out. They have a ton of draft picks in this upcoming draft. I think they can, you know, rebuild this team on the fly a little bit, you know, get some pieces in there, restock, restack the deck a little bit, um, and then let it all play out with Kyler. So, but they're an interesting team as well, because if they get a top two pick, uh, it's going to be really interesting. They kind of dictate them and the Bears. They dictate really how this upcoming draft is going to play out. That's going to be really fascinating to see, um, you know, when it all comes down to it. Um, all right, so let's get uh, to to this upcoming game against the Cardinals. Speaking of them, um, it's it's going to be interesting because they're going to be playing on Christmas Eve here. Um, you know, two teams that, you know, look the Cardinals. They're kind of where the Bears were at last year right, where they really stripped everything down to the studs. You know, they acquired a ton of draft picks in this upcoming draft. They've, they, they tried to clear out some of the bad contracts that were on the books here um, in order to rebuild this roster. You know, they have Kyler Murray, like we said, who's back and, and playing some inconsistent ball coming back from the injury. You know, they still got some guys there like Marquise Brown, um, Buda Baker's still there. Um, you know, they, they drafted Paris Johnson in this last draft, who's been, you know, quietly coming on as a, as a right tackle for them, um, you know, but still not a team that while they, you know, they, they played some, t- some tough games this year, there's a lack of talent across the board here. When they look, when you look at this Cardinals team and you think with the bears, the way that they're playing, that they should have quite a bit of an advantage in this one, um, this upcoming weekend. I mean, you would say that they have quite an advantage, but Again, I'm just going to kind of say what I say every week and allude to every single week is you never know what you're going to get from the Bears. And so that is what makes this evaluation and just kind of talking about this game so much tougher. Because if you look at Arizona's offense this year, I mean, they have not been as explosive as we're used to seeing them. In a way, you're talking about a lack of explosiveness from the quarterback position that is really kind of hindered anything that Arizona's offense is going to do this year. You look at that roster and guess what? I mean, yes, they have Hollywood Brown there. The 
on the offensive side of the ball, the defense really needs a lot of work, right? Like everyone wants to talk about Buda Baker, but it's still a unit that I'm not necessarily even that confident in. You know, Jonathan Gannon, who I think was a phenomenal coordinator in Philly, he's still figuring things out of what he wants his defense to look like being the head coach here in Arizona. And so now it's just ultimately this major situation where, you know, the Bears and Cardinals are two really evenly matched teams. But if I'm going to be honest, I mean, the team with the more consistent coaching is by far Arizona, even though they technically have a very similar record to the Bears. Because the difference is that, you know, Arizona, for having a first year head coach, has held up surprisingly well in a pretty good NFC West. Yeah, I mean the Cardinals are three and eleven, so it's not like it's, it's been great there for them. Um, they they started off a lot better than than it has been in, in recent months um, this year. Um, look, I I still think the Bears, if they lose this game or if it's even close, you you can't keep Eberflus. Like if, if there's any conversation at Hallis Hall about potentially keeping Eberflus and and even sticking with Justin Fields next year, like. Last week, I think, was a decisive game in terms of, like, yeah, like they're probably not going to come back next year, but we'll let it play out for these last three weeks and, you know, see if they do anything that changes our mind. No, if they lose this game this week, like, it's done. You, you can't bring these guys back because this is a team that, you know, isn't playing for anything. They don't have the roster talent, you know, Kyler Murray is still figuring things out this year, coming back from the injury. Like there is are so many reasons for the Bears not to be able to lose this game with the way that they've been playing recently. The defense, you know, has been you know playing much better. They should have no problem with this Arizona Cardinals team that has struggled to block up front for Kyler Murray. They don't have a lot of you know outside of, Mar- of Hollywood Brown. They don't have a ton of weapons on this offense. Like Trey McBride's really good at tight end as well. I, I should mention him as kind of a, as a low key. Um, stud in, in uh, on this Colonel's offense, but other than that, like there's not a ton like of of game breaking talent here. So the Bears, like at home, you'd think they'd be able to take care of business here. But like you said, like we've seen this coaching staff find ways to bungle this before. I will say the Bears have found ways to beat the teams that you know other bad teams that they're kind of supposed to beat this year. If you look at the Panthers game, um, for instance. You know, there's a game where they they were able to take care of business there. I, I I don't know. I it felt like last last week was such a decisive blow that maybe this team is is looking ahead to the offseason. I don't think that's the case. I think this is a, a strong enough locker room for that not to happen. But it's gonna be an interesting one to follow here. Um you say it for you. What's your prediction? Who do you have winning this one? Yeah, I ultimately think Arizona is gonna come in and they're gonna kind of win this one just Looking at where this team is at, everything that they have tried to kind of go ahead and do, you know, the writing's on the wall for me this season. So I'm going to say Arizona comes into Soldier Field, steals this one and wins, you know, 24 to 18. And that's just kind of ultimately, you know, how it goes for a team that quite frankly, you know, everyone's just ready for the season to be over with. Yeah, I'm going to take the Bears here. I'm as much as as bad as it was last week, I, I still think the Bears are they should be the better team in this one. I have them winning twenty seven to sixteen. I, I just have a hard time unless Kyler Murray just goes completely off in this game. I have a hard time seeing you know this this Cardinals offense 
know, putting up points on this Bears defense the way they've been playing. I, I, I think, you know, if there's anything that this Justin Fields led offense has shown, Lugetsy led offense has shown is that they can beat up on bad defenses. And the Cardinals are certainly a bad defense, you know, both talent wise and just like, you know, you look, look at the underlying metrics. They're, they're not doing great this year. So I, I think the Bears win this game and they get back on track here in the win column. They set themselves up for another game against Atlanta to really try to prove themselves once again in the in the following week. But yeah, I'm gonna take the Bears 27-16 and um you know get us another week on this season closer to um the end here as we as we kind of get to the close of this year. Um all right, you said um it's going to be a wrap for us today as uh, we, we talked a lot here on uh, the long-term future, uh, the long-term outlook of this Bears team with the coaching staff and field. Um, so for all the listeners out there, make sure to give us a like, rate, and review, and subscribe to all to uh, our, our podcast on wherever you get your podcasting platform, especially on Spotify. Um, make sure to follow us on social media, at Picks for Polls, and follow the Bear Report on, on, on Twitter, at uh, Bear Report as well. You said, where can our listeners find your work and, and – uh, where can they find you on social media? Yeah, so you guys can check out my work on the Bear Report. Follow me on all my social media platforms at Usaid Koshal as well. Got tons of content coming out about the Bears. Absolutely. You can find my work on the Bear Report as well. You can find uh, me on Twitter at AJ Freeman 25 And for all of our Bears fans and listeners out there, um, once again, have a happy holidays. Um, you know, uh, for those who celebrate, Merry Christmas to you guys. Uh, I'm looking forward to this upcoming holiday weekend because I'm, I'm probably going to eat a lot of, a lot of cookies and drink a lot of eggnog and um, just the way that things go here. Looking forward to that. Uh, spending some time with friends and family. It's always, always fun um, to do that. But until next time, Bears fans, like I said, happy holidays, have a great weekend and bear down. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why, what do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.